Good day and welcome to a new season of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We are starting our sixth season today and with that our guest will be George Plaster. With a new season is a new title sponsor. I am thrilled to have Jody Jones on board. Jody is a Vanderbilt booster and a former football player. Jody is also one of the more reputable dentists in the Nashville area, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones DDS provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice. He has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry. He provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile and other services. Thank you so much to Jody for stepping up as title sponsor and making a season six possible. And speaking of sponsors, Sutherland and Belk is back for another year to sponsor the news. Sutherland and Belk is a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Kickoff time has been set for several games. The opener at Texas A&M as well as LSU in Week 2 and Missouri in Week 4. Those games will all kick off at 6.30 Central. Ole Miss on October the 31st and Mississippi State on November the 7th both kick off at 3. The other times for the remaining five games have not yet been announced. Our guest line is presented by my friend Scott Tannen at Bowling Branch. He and his wife Missy have run that company for years, and I promise you, you have no idea how comfortable sheets can be until you get some Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins us today. He's a good friend of mine. He is a host on Nashville Sports Radio from 2 to 4 every day. George, we've taken a break. Thank you for joining us in what is basically the reboot of the podcast, and I appreciate you coming on with me today. Chris, happy to do it. I hope everybody is uh, safe and well and uh, trying to get through this crazy time. Well, and I want to make a special thank you. I did not know if there would be a season six of the podcast um, for a lot of reasons, but I will say this, uh, we're going to be back for another year, and this was not going to happen without Jody Jones and Scott Tannen, Taylor Sutherland and Russell Belk and Josh Mitten. So I know you know some of those guys. I know you at least know Jody. I wanted to start by just expressing my appreciation for those guys and helping keep this alive. Yeah, Jody's a, a good person, good friend. Uh, his family I've known for years, and uh, there, there's some there's some real love of, of Vanderbilt in all of that. Well, and Jody was a walk-on in the early '90s, I believe, and also his parents, um, you know, have Vanderbilt ties for decades. I don't know his parents, but you do. But I think that is a family that is is steeped in love for Vanderbilt as just about anyone out there. Lucy Jones for a long, long time was the face in my opinion of Vanderbilt athletics, because she was the person 
that people from outside of Magoogan Center dealt with, whether it's for tickets or contributions or whatever. And she was always such a positive, upbeat person. She was beloved in the Vanderbilt community. The topic on today's show is going to be basically reboot of Vanderbilt Athletics for reasons I will get into in just a minute, but I'm glad you brought them up. I just keep hearing, and I know that you do too, I think that Vanderbilt has just damaged so much trust over the last years, and particularly this year. The thing that I'm finding, and we're going to get into some things in a bit in terms of facilities and plans and stuff like that, because I think, again, the school is starting to reboot and set the whole thing back again, which is interesting in its own right. But the thing that I'm finding, George, and I know you are too, is I talk to more and more people who have been longtime supporters of Vanderbilt, I have never seen a collective throw in the towel uh, that I have seen within the last year with people that used to support the school with their dollars, their time. It just seems to me that morale and support from boosters has hit an all-time low. And I know that you run in some of those circles, and I think it's fair to say you are probably hearing the same thing. Yeah, and I think here's where it's coming from. Uh, For a lot of years, I had been screaming and yelling on the air that I didn't think anybody over there cared. Um, And when I say anybody, I mean up in Kirkland. And that, um, you know, back 15, 20 years ago when I would do that, I caught a lot of heat for it. And yet I think 15 to 20 years later, what's different is now it's no longer a secret. Everybody knows it. The frustration is that those in this fan base have picked the one power five school that couldn't give a damn one way or the other, how athletics goes. And I think what you start to get is a little bit of an attitude that says, well, if they don't care, why should I care? You know, I hear a lot of the, uh, a lot of the other side, which is you owe it to the student athletes, blah, blah, blah. Um, And there is some of that, but you also owe it to yourself to not be dumb enough to care if the people that control it don't care. Now, I'll make a distinction about this. I don't have any doubt that Candace Lee cares, and I don't have any doubt that she would like to do good things for Vanderbilt Athletics. I'm not going to question that at all. But what I am going to question is whether Kirkland Hall has any intention of letting her carry those things out um, the way, you know, a normal athletic department would function. And so what you've got right now is a fan base that's been dwindling for about 20 years. Some of it is just simply a case of an older fan base starting to die out. But also some of it is the realization that, hey, they don't care. Why should I care? And that's sort of where I think Vanderbilt Athletics is right now. Uh, I don't. I've never seen as little interest, other than the baseball, which you know Tim Corbin has somehow been able to isolate himself and insulate himself from all of the rest of the university buffoonery, and um, you know he just continues to sail along, nothing short of a miracle worker. But other than the baseball, 
I don't hear a lot of enthusiasm for anything else that's going on there. Well, Candace really wanted the job. I'm thinking that she has kind of gotten herself into one of these be careful what you wish for situations because I think two things. I think the apathy is at an all-time high. A lot of donors have just walked away. I've talked to uh, several people who have held tickets for 30, 40 years who just didn't renew this year for football. So I think that the if she tries to raise money and do the things that they're going to need to do to get this thing headed in a better direction, I think she's going to have a very difficult time doing that. I think also, and I'm not going to call her a victim because she's not for reasons I will get into, but I think the fact that she got appointed athletic director, that in itself made the job harder for her than it would have other people. I think if the school had gone out and gotten a sitting Power 5 or an 80 somewhere else with a successful track record, which it could have done, that would have sent a message to people that I think would have maybe made some donors who will not be interested for her that might have been interested for somebody else. And again, somebody, some people may say that's not fair to her. I think it is for reasons I will get into in a few minutes. But uh, I, I think that is the landscape that she's facing. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think the other thing that's going to happen, and this is this is a really murky crystal ball, as all of our crystal balls are murky, because we've never lived in a time in our lifetimes that has been as crazy as this, but let's go on the assumption that a full football season happens. Um, you know, it's hard to visualize the current Vanderbilt football team having any real success. Uh, They just don't look like on paper they've got enough there. Um, So the likelihood is that she's also going to face at some point during the football season, if it plays out, some what are you going to do about this situation? Are you going to change the coach? Are you going to go on the cheap and say, no, we're retaining him? You know, I don't think it takes an overly astute crystal ball to realize that that's one of the things she's going to start dealing with. Yes, and you beat me to that. And I think the complications for her are numerous. First of all, she and Derek are very close. Uh, Derek is in her office constantly and was when Turner was there too. She has been his sports supervisor for years and so I don't think on that level, um, I'm sure there's part of her that wouldn't want to make a change. There's also the matter of, I think, a $7 million buyout. Maybe that could be negotiated down. Maybe Derek gets to the point where he's just sick of it and ready to walk away. But she's not been good at handling the tough aspects of her job. She's kind of done the run and hide through most of her tenure. And I wonder, because I think she's going to be in a hard place one way or the other. She's going to either have to justify keeping a coach uh, if things go the way that we think they do. And again, I looked at S&P rankings and Vanderbilt is going to be a 23-point underdog on average every week, according to that. And it's not going to be favored to win any games. In fact, it's not projected to be closer than 13 in any of those. So I think that she faces the issue of where if she keeps Derek, which I think the school would like to do probably, then she is going to face all kinds of backlash from the people who are left. Uh, Or if she goes the other way and has to get rid of him, that's going to be hard for her to do. Plus, she's going to have to do a coaching search, which she's done one of those so far. 
Uh, that has not been one that has come out with a good result. Her process on that was awful. So I think either way this season goes, which I think this is a reason why maybe I keep hearing they don't really want to play. I think that whatever happens this fall, if they have a season, it's going to be very difficult for her to handle. Yeah, and here's one of the things that you worry about in all this. You've got a group of kids uh, on that football team that are pretty smart, and a lot of them aren't all that sure going in how committed they are to this process. Because in COVID, I think all of us can understand their queasiness. I think it'll only get worse if they get two or three games into the season and they're not very competitive. Now, they may fool me because I always put out this one little addendum, and that is that Derek Mason seems to have been a person that has nine lives, and every time you write him off, he somehow, you know, comes out of it. But I do worry that if they get two, three, four games in and they're not really competitive, that mentally a group of kids that aren't all that sure going in how committed they are will just say, screw it. Yeah, I think that's a valid concern. I think there's some morale issues before the season is even kicked off, uh, which is always concerning. But And I say that, that's not a team-wide thing. I know there's some kids that are very excited about playing ball. Uh, I question whether a few others are. That's a whole other topic. We'll see how that plays out this year. But I will say this, too. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, is I dig in on where they are headed with facilities and strategic plans and things like that. And I've come to the conclusion that they have basically thrown out whatever Malcolm Turner had planned most or all of it. Um, I don't want to reveal some of the details on those things, but that's very interesting to me. Uh, it, it appears and based on the comments that the chancellor made on one the game the other night, and I'm paraphrasing some things that I'd, I'd seen people write and tweet about. I did not listen to the comments, so I, I want to throw that out as full disclosure here. But it just seems to me like they have decided to reboot the entire strategic plan, which means they have basically spent their last two years spinning their wheels. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, on Dear Meyer, I at least give him some level of credit above Nick Zeppos, who went into some form of the witness protection program over the last two years and nobody ever saw him at least dear dear meyer ended up um in a setting where he knew he was going to get a bunch of softballs uh tossed at him and um you know he said all the right things uh you know and i, I guess the cynical part of me is saying whatever i need to see proof words no longer mean a whole hell of a lot yeah, I think that's kind of where they are. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of places I can go with this again, but it just, the thing that keeps hitting me is that they keep finding ways to hit the reset button on everything, and I just think that adds to the skepticism. I think the other thing that adds to the skepticism is the way that Candace got the job. Um, look, I think people have been critical of me for being critical of her and felt like I had been too harsh. But the fact is, 
and people that were on my board know it. I'd been saying for a couple of weeks before Turner was gone uh, that I didn't think the marriage was going to last very much longer. The reason for that was because I had been tipped off that she was uh, doing some work to to get him dismissed. And when I heard it, I thought, well, you know, if you hear the buzz on Malcolm Turner, there might be some valid reasons for that. So just because you were working to get your boss let go uh, does not always make you in the wrong. And I remember you had me, because there were also rumors circulating at the time that she had kind of knifed him in the back. And I remember you asking me on your show, uh, did I believe that? And I think I sort of deferred on the question because I really wasn't sure what was true. The more that I have come to learn in all this, I think she had a big hand in his takedown. You can go back and listen to my podcast from the winter. And one thing I said was, I think before they move forward with any of this, they need to have a full investigation into what went on and who was involved. I don't think the school ever did that. I would have been very interested to see what it would have turned up. But I think you and I have both been very skeptical from excuse me, skeptical from the beginning um, about her motives in helping her boss. And that's why I am skeptical now of her ability to do the job, because I think that Malcolm was making progress on some things. And for whatever reason, I do not think she was on board with that. And so, you know, people may look at me and say, you're being hard on her, but I'm sorry, uh, with the info I got and the intelligence, that's the lens through which I'm going to view her. And it's going to be very skeptical for a while. And I don't think that's unfair. Well, you haven't pulled any punches, have you? (laughs) Well, and look, this has been a year, you know how tough this has been for me um it's it's not always an easy job to be that one guy out there that has kind of gone off script but the thing that you know I think if you're in sports journalism if you're in it to make friends you don't do it to antagonize or to stir up needless trouble uh but I think the world has the need for truth more than it's had in a long time and I'm sorry I just get sick of of seeing things, of watching how that place is run, of knowing what's going going on, um, I, I think it's time that somebody told the truth. Sometimes that does not always make your life easy. Uh, and you know what? If you don't like it, then this is probably not the podcast for you. I'm not in it to antagonize, but I'm also not in it to make friends. And that's the truth as I see it. And George, you know, I've spent a couple hundred hours digging in on this stuff. Um, and talking to people that were there and saw things and heard things. And that is really what I think the landscape is. Now, look, the the canvas is hers now to make of it what she can. Uh, And and maybe she has a turnaround in her career um, and and runs this thing the way it should. I have a lot of questions about her. I have some questions about her integrity and her honesty, to be quite frank. But... um, if people want to know why I have been so critical and skeptical of her, and again, you can get mad at me for saying it, uh, but I don't think I'm wrong about this. Chris, I think from uh, from somebody who you know was once the school's announcer uh, to somebody who grew up in the shadows of uh, of all of those facilities, what I think saddens me the most in what I've been watching over the last few years. There's a there's a loyal group that's out there that has really cared for that school. 
you know, I, I could go through names in Memorial Gym and say, okay, that person has been a season ticket holder for 42 years. This one's been a season ticket holder for 28 years. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm old enough and I've been around it enough. You know, I know who these people are. I feel really bad for these people because I think they've been completely screwed over. Number one, as I said earlier, they picked out the one power five school that at the top, in this case, Kirkland has absolutely not given a damn one way or the other. I don't know why they cannot figure out the concept that a lot of schools have, which is if your athletic programs achieve a certain level of success, you're going to get more uh, applicants in your school. None of this seems to register at all with them. In fact, they seem to just go totally the other way. And this isn't going to get a lot better. Yeah, and I think the thing that really upsets me um, is just seeing how people inside that school frame Turner. And look, I have my own criticisms of him. I don't think that he should have been the choice for the job in the first place. I think they should have gone and gotten any number of ADs who were interested in the job and would not require a learning curve and all the things he required. But they did it. And from what I can tell, and I've been critical of Turner. You can go back and listen to the podcasts and the radio things I did places. I said I thought that he did things he shouldn't have done. I didn't think that, for instance, going to Memphis uh, and taking a car there uh, and, and then coming back and, and catching a flight – you know, and all the the money that went into that, I'm like, okay, that's that's a lot of money when you work at a college where your mission is to serve students. But that also, I don't know, was completely out of bounds for the executive level. And the thing that I found out is I checked into more and more and more of the criticisms. It was just so completely unfair the way that he was characterized. Um, again, a lot of things were true, and I have some issues with him. But the double standard at that school uh, is so damning on them. The way that they criticized him for some things that he did, uh, given what some of the executive leadership, including her at times, had done. Um, And I just look back on that whole thing, and the more that I learn about Malcolm Turner, again, it's hard to know if you're there. And it's a private school, and there's a lot of things we'll never get access to. But I do think he was a guy who cared. I do think he was a guy who was starting to bring back some of the people who've been very skeptical and get those people in the fold. And I think the minute they got rid of him, that all went right down the toilet. A couple of things happened in there, Chris, that sure didn't help him. Number one, the person that hired him, that kind of went out on the limb for him, was gone, you know, very quickly uh, in, in Malcolm's era, talking about Zeppos. And don't get me wrong, Zeppos was a complete zero. Athletically, he, he didn't do one thing, in my opinion, that really helped athletics. Uh, he talked a good game early and then went in a cave, uh, never to be found again. And so, you know, he was a complete zero. But the, the bottom line is the guy that hired Malcolm Turner wasn't in the picture to support him, to help him. Not that I think he knew how to, uh, e- even if he had tried. That didn't help him. What I know about Malcolm Turner and my dealings with him, 
he's a good man who probably made some mistakes and probably needed somebody to grab him at some point and say, look, here's how you have to operate when it comes to spending money. Maybe that happened, but I don't think it did. Uh, I think his intentions were really good. He had been given some marching orders to try to get Vanderbilt Athletics back up to where they were competitive with the rest of the league. Now, do I really think Zeppos meant that? No, I really don't. Uh, But I think Malcolm Turner took him at his word, and that's what he started out trying to do. And all of a sudden in midstream, he finds out that the marching orders he's been given suddenly aren't anywhere close to what the marching orders of the post Zeppos Kirkland want. And so he really got caught between a rock and a hard place. And then I think he got stubborn and pretty much said to hell with them. These are the marching orders I've been given. And until you know, until I leave, this is what I'm going with. I wonder if they've hit a point of no return, that they have just done so much damage that there's never a way to come back from it. I mean, you've got to fight the fight. You've got to try. But I just wonder if the critical mass of fans who believe in what they're doing and believe in their leadership is enough to where I, – I don't. I really honestly think, and this is my opinion, I, I do not think there's any way that she gets this done – um, to the extent that Vanderbilt Athletics needs to be changed. What I think she will do is she'll come out with a plan, she'll try to make it look great, but it will be something far short than the $800 million that Malcolm Turner thought they needed. And who knows whether he would have gotten it or not, but I think it's important to note that's where the bar was set. It may be the school, which is very invested in her um, it, it, and has doubled down on her so many times, uh, and I don't think, barring her shooting the chancellor uh, in public where it's called on the film, I, I, I don't know that she's going to get dismissed. Uh, I just think that the only way that they will ever really see if this can succeed, I, I think they missed a golden opportunity this spring to go out and find a new AD that somebody could have been excited about. That would have sent a message to the community uh, that I think could have gotten people on board. I just wonder if the seeds have already been sown and barring a reversal, of course, uh, that, that this will never get fixed. Chris, I'm going to boil this down to some really simple, just a really simple deal that I think anybody can understand. I can remember back in the late nineties, Tennessee on its way to winning a national title comes in for its regular season finale against Vandy. And there were probably 37,000 Tennessee fans in that old stadium and about 4,000 Vanderbilt fans. And the next Monday, I came out and just ripped the you-know-what out of Todd Turner and said, all you give a damn about is a golf course because you love to play golf. And now you can crow that you've gotten uh, the legends that had just happened. And... You know, it was a cheap shot, and and I admit it, uh, probably shouldn't have done it. But here's the point. I was one of those 4,000 people that was there that day as a a spectator, not as a media member, and it pissed me off. And I think it pisses off every Vanderbilt fan who cares 
every time they walk in that football stadium for an SEC game and they see the place overrun by the visitor. I didn't go to the Georgia game last year, but you could see on television exactly what was what. It was a, a black and red jailbreak. And, you know, that's one of the problems that's going on right now is that a lot of fans are tired of feeling that way every time that they go in there. They know they're part of about six to 8,000 Vanderbilt fans, and the other team's going to have twenty to 25,000. But the real telling thing is it never seems to piss off anybody in Kirkland. Nobody in Kirkland ever looks around and says, this is wrong. This, this is not the way it should be. You know, our players don't have a home field advantage. None of that bothers them. And until it starts to get to a point where it bothers somebody that matters, none of this is going to get any better. Well, two things. Uh, my understanding uh, was that the night of the Georgia game, absolutely nobody in administration was bothered by that whole debacle of the stadium takeover. And again, this is coming off a season where they've been to a bowl. They had some marquee players coming back. The fan base should have been excited and energized uh, to some degree, and yet it wasn't. Uh, and Susan Wente, I'm told, was completely untroubled and unfazed by the whole thing. Uh, which is a bad sign when she's your interim chancellor. Um, And I think Susan Wente, frankly, is part of the problem over there, more so than the solution. But I think the difference between now and then, because you look at that, you could say, okay, well, you know, that was 1998 or 99 or whatever year that was. And you look back and James Franklin had that place rocking again within a dozen years. And, you know, for a while things were successful. I remember going to the Birmingham Bowl and seeing about 35,000 Vanderbilt fans down there, which was pretty crazy given that I think a lot of fans thought that they got screwed on their bowl draw. So there was that, but I think the difference between now and then is I go back to the 90s and you still had people around who had been to the Hall of Fame Bowl in 82. I remember going down to that and seeing, I don't know, maybe fifty or 60,000 Vanderbilt fans down in Birmingham for that one. You had a group of people that had believed for so long and I don't think they ever really knew they they hadn't had the curtain lifted back on the dysfunction of the school. It was more of an urban legend at that time. Now that it's out there in front of people, a B the other thing that really bothers me is I think you look at the fan base and it's been aging for a while and you can go back on past episodes of the podcast and hear what I've had to say on this, but I think they've had an old fan base I think some of them have literally died off. Some of them are probably too old to go to games anymore. And in the meantime, what have they done the last half dozen years to develop new fans? Outside of baseball, really not a lot. And that's what concerns me. That's another reason I think that it might be too late because just the critical mass of people, again, who care, not just in terms of donors, but in terms of people who will show up, uh, has gotten so low and there have been no efforts to cultivate a new one that's why i think this is a little different than it was 20 years ago yeah the cat's out of the bag that's really all you have to say the cat's out of the bag everybody's figured it out and um and that's really listen the the whole fan base issue would take a massive i mean massive amount of work to change and i used to say on the air that they didn't want to work that hard 
and I aimed a lot of that at Todd Turner when he was here, when this problem started to emerge and become very obvious that nobody wanted to work that hard. And I guess the proof in the pudding that it can be done is the Predators. You know, they, they came here. Nobody gave a damn about hockey. Nobody knew anything about hockey. And yet those people were relentless on game night. Even if the team wasn't very good, they created a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, they created a lot of the things that, you know, had Vanderbilt really made a go of it. Some of it could have been theirs. You know, you go into a, a Predator game um, over the last few years, and it's just a sea of gold. And you sit there and you say to yourself, could this have been Vandy? Maybe. It would have taken some really hard work. The Predators worked their fanny off on it. And they succeeded. And you look at Vandy, they weren't willing to make that effort. And look at where they are now. Well, and I think we're still, what, three out, three weeks out from the Oprah. I still think a lot of season ticket holders are in the dark about what they're going to do this year, where their seats are going to be. And uh, th- that's pretty damning. Um you know, again, you don't have that many fans to deal with right now anyway. You ought to be thankful for everyone you have. And, and yet, and I understand that there's a COVID complications and stuff, but you could at least have a plan and have some contingencies. But I've, and look, I'm not a season ticket holder. I'm a, a member of the media. So I don't necessarily see all the communications, but, you know, I've seen people on my board asking. I haven't heard about tickets and those sorts of things. And that's just something that seems to be inexcusable at this stage of the game. Well, I'll say this, having worked in an athletic department now, communication is really vital. Even if the communication is to admit that you really don't have the answers, I think people appreciate the fact that you have communicated and that you're honest. Anything that you put out there right now in this COVID era, you know, could end up getting laughed at a week later. If people were to take the radio shows that I've done over the last six months and play them back to me, uh, you know, some of what I put out there is so silly and, and turns out to be so wrong. Um, you know, I can remember doing a show on a Friday where I made the comment that You know, in my opinion, all of these leagues are going to get started. I'm not sure any of them are going to finish. And you know what? I I give some of these leagues a lot of credit because, man, they have gone to the ends of the earth to try to get it to happen. Even Major League Baseball, as goofy as it sometimes has looked, I'm now starting to think they're going to get it done. Uh, And really, that has nothing to do with where we're going, but but other than to say that right now they they need you can't communicate too much and even if you have to communicate that you have no clue based on what's going on you know hang with us as soon as we know something definitive we'll get it to you yeah i'm actually glad you brought that up i have stayed out of the whole covid thing just because it's gotten so politicized one number two i'm not a doctor Number three, I've not really known who and what to trust because I think so much on both sides has been politically motivated. And it's an investment in your time just to get in there and dig those things out and, and discern the truth. And I'm like, I got better things to do. I'll just, you know, I'll show up if there's games and I want if I want. But the CDC put out a report last week that was very interesting. 
and people can go through the details themselves. But I looked at that and I just thought, there's at this point, there's no reason we shouldn't be playing ball. Um, you know, the numbers uh, were, were in some ways not what I think we thought they were. And again, this is CDC. This is not a talking point from a political party or a talking head uh, with an interest in a point of view. This is official data from the people who should know this stuff. And then I look at the athletes. I still don't know of an athlete who has died or been severely damaged from this. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, but the death toll and the people who are adversely affected – are not these student athletes for the most part. So I look at that and I say there, yes, there are some kids who could opt out and should opt out because of their conditions. But I just look at the landscape in light of what the CDC came out with. And I just, I think I've never been so optimistic about a full season of ball than I am today. Well, I hope you're right. I mean, the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 have certainly gone down this road. So we're going to find out one way or the other whether uh, this can be pulled off or not. I'm a little bit more in the middle in this thing. And I think for college football to succeed in the fall, they're going to have to learn some things from Major League Baseball. God, I never thought I'd say that. But MLB did one smart thing. They've done a lot of stupid things. But one smart thing they did was to basically say, look, the first time we have a problem, we're not going to panic and completely bail. We're just going to tell that team to get lost for a while. They did that with the Marlins, then the St. Louis Cardinals. I guess the latest one has been Oakland. And what they've sort of figured out is, look, we're just going to take it by winning percentage. It's not perfect. It's not the way we'd want to do it. But this is a year where, you know, perfect and and equal playing field doesn't exist. And I think for college football to work in the fall, that's probably the way they're going to have to take it. Uh, Now, how you decide who a national champion is, I don't know. And I'm not sure in the end how important – that's going to be because it's going to feel watered down. But then somebody will ask me, well, how would you feel if your Braves won it all? Well, I think you know the answer. I'd probably have a little mini parade in my yard. But there would also be a part of me going, uh, this, is, this is, feels like more like 60% of a world title as opposed to a real one. Well, and with that, the Big Ten is going to be very interesting. I wonder where that ends. It sure seemed yesterday uh, like that's a league that is going to be playing football. I don't know what's come out this morning, but that has been fascinating how that has developed. Well, it has been. I think one of the things they've run into uh, is the, the simple fact that Jim Delaney isn't there anymore. And this guy, Kevin Warren, has shown real inexperience. It sounds like he has not been a great communicator, and that has pissed off the coaches. It's also ticked off a bunch of the athletic directors. That word has sort of seeped out. Um, I'm not saying that I would want his job right now, but he wanted it. Um, You know, and when – when Delaney stepped down, this guy just hadn't provided any leadership. And the Big Ten just looks like a sea of buffoonery. And, it, I, I, you know, I'm hard-pressed to believe that under Jim Delaney it would have looked like this. I know it wouldn't have. 
because he was a savvy um, athletic leader who knew how to navigate through choppy seas. And right now they don't have that and they're paying dearly for it. Are you ready for the mailbag? Oh, I can't wait. Let's I know do you it. can't. <laughs> I know how eagerly you anticipate this feature. So let's do it. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash joshuamintonhq, or excuse me, jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try, and please tell him you heard about it on this podcast. Ann Arbordor says, when Daniel Deermeyer says the athletic department should be, quote, part of the university, not a separate entity, unquote, it sounds a bit like it might be a reimagination of the AD reorganization that Gordon Gee did years ago. Do you agree? If so, what might be good or not so good for the AD if this happens? Sir, it's one word. It's whatever. Um, now to give you a real answer, um, you know, dear has been here two months and nobody really knows one thing more about him or his true feelings about athletics than we did, you know, when he first got here, the, the visit with Joe Fisher a couple of days ago, it doesn't mean a damn thing. It really doesn't. He said all the right things. We're now at a point where the words don't matter. The actions do. And that's really all there is to say about that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. A similar question from Door King uh, says, is there any reason to be optimistic about the future of athletics under Deermeyer? I thought his comments regarding athletics to Joe Fisher sounded encouraging. At least he might be better than Nick Zeppos. Well, yeah, I, I, I would say this. Virtually anything would be better than Nick Zeppos. He was a complete and total zero when it came to athletics. I can't think of one thing he ever did that ever helped athletics. And I've been pretty consistent about that all along. He talked a good game going in, but for the most part, he was a hot air windbag. This guy has come in. He said some things, but again, this all, we're, we're now at a point where we have heard the words and the rhetoric for so long. Give us some action. Give us a reason a tangible reason um, to, to have some excitement because words aren't going to do it. D. Robertson TN says, what are your thoughts on the new black and gold club and the fan council? Any belief they will be able to get anything accomplished or is this more just smoke and mirrors? Would you have any interest to in being involved in either? Um, you know, uh, I, I don't, quite know what to make of it because I know there are people who still care, who want to believe, uh, at this point, I don't believe. And my cynicism is obvious. Um, but you know, through the years, I've oftentimes gotten in the middle of things that, um, you know, seem crazy, but I believe we're good for the city. I also think it, it would be good for our city. Um, if Vanderbilt athletics had a rise, there are a lot of people that come into town because of athletic events that Vanderbilt 
uh, has. Um, so I guess my answer is I wouldn't rule anything out. I, I still care about the school. I went there. I have, you know, a lot of good feelings about um, a lot of people that I dealt with over the years. So an interesting question. Um, I certainly haven't been contacted by anybody, uh, but I, I don't guess I'd rule, rule anything out. Well, I think these things are like anything else. It's like what's involved in the execution, what are the goals, and we will wait and see how this plays out. But I look at what she's done, and I don't know who some of these people are, but she has put some of her chief sunshine pumpers on the black and gold club. And again, I don't mean to paint everybody with a broad brush, but like if you really want change and you want people to shake it up and give you new ideas, they could call people like you who've been critical, but I think your heart's been in the right place. Uh, although I guess you weren't an athlete, so you couldn't be on the the black and gold club as former athletes. But they could certainly use you in a different capacity. Uh, you know, so you're the, saying you're saying that my Green Hills Y activities were not all that athletic. Well, you know that the bar does change over there all the time, so maybe we could fit you in. Um, yeah, we have a place for you. Right. Well, you it's were at least side, it's called the sideline. Which okay, do you want a funny story out of this? Let's go for it. Okay, so I was on a city league team years ago and um, that played out in, in Bellevue. And um, Bruce Elder, who was a very good friend, was also on that team. And we reached a point in the game where the, the other team scored six points in a row, and I stood up and took a timeout. And Bruce came into the huddle, and he's just screaming at me. He goes, why are you calling a timeout? He says, you're not a leader. He says, you don't play enough to be a leader. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I don't, don't believe you were on scholarship at Vanderbilt for your work at the Green Hills. Why were you? No. Oh, let's tell you this. Bruce got stuck. I don't know. Three, I don't know what year it was in the early 2000s, but Willie and I and a couple of others were going to Atlanta to see the Braves and the Mets. And it was the year that Glavin had signed as a free agent with New York. And I, I was so upset because the crowd really booed him a lot. And I didn't like that at all. And, and I kept bringing it up. And finally, Bruce in the eighth inning just turns to me and goes, just shut the hell up about Glavin. He said, we're all tired of hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, Brace, by the way, I'm, I'm pleased with the, the direction of the season in spite of the adversity. Um, but we can talk about that. Another show. <laughs> We've got a few oh, more we questions. Sure can. Um, we sure well, can. and the point I was getting at, again, I, I keep looking back to how they do things. I look back to how, they chose committees to do these things. And again, I'm I'm looking for people who know what to do and are not willing to say uh, unpleasant truths that need to be heard. And again, I look at the way she's done the black and gold thing and uh, people were her chief sunshine, sunshine pumpers. Uh, they could have invited Tim Thompson, Will Purdue, people that would have connections and real ideas. I just, I see her and I see the way she does her job. And I see somebody who is very obsessed uh, with public relations and perception uh, and sometimes privately striking back at her critics more so than she is 
doing the tough things that they need to do to get the job done. And it's such a mess right now. I, I just think that they continue to tell on themselves in the little ways of how they handle their business. I love the term sunshine pumping. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's and that, that's what it is. And, and like I said, I've taken a lot of criticism for the things that I have said about her, but l- let's check the scorebook um, and let's see how, where that goes. And, and it just hasn't been very good. So you said there are other questions. There are a few more. Uh, Chester Copperpot okay. says, will the SEC play its entire schedule this year? Boy, that's a great question. I think their best shot is if they're realistic enough to say when a school has something break out, if something like what's going on at Auburn happens during the season, they're just going to have to look at Auburn and say, um, you know, you're out for a week or two. They're going to have to borrow the baseball model. And, you know, it's not as easy as just picking up the phone and telling the president of the school you're done. It may also involve picking up the phone with all of your TV partners and rearranging an entire week or two schedule six days out. And man, that that involves some real logistics. But that's what they're going to have to do if, if you know, to answer his question, if this is going to play out from beginning to end, those are the kind of things they're going to face. S.R. Kane says, any SEC predictions or standings or things that you expect to see? Uh, as far as Vanderbilt? I think he meant the whole league. Well, I think it's going to be a year where um, I, I don't see anybody running a table. Listen, we're in the new territory here where it's 10 weeks in a row of backbreaking stuff. There, there isn't the, you know, you think about the punching bags that that most of these leagues have. UL Monroe, you know, right at the top of the pump, punching bag list. Troy, um, you know, th- there's not going to be any of that. And so you're not going to be able to sort of rest up, um, you know, a week before your big game against arch rival tech by pl- playing, you know, uh, um, you know, an inferior product. And so the, the concept that an Alabama or a Georgia is going to go undefeated this year, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think we're, we're headed toward a league that's more two to three losses kind of stuff may win. And, uh, Boy, there's some schools not used to that. And, you know, how do the players react when they lose a game? Because oftentimes at Alabama, for instance, if you lose a game, your season is a failure. Well, now, all of a sudden, given the landscape, things are going to happen the next week. You've got to put that loss behind you. Because guess what? Another really good SEC team's on the schedule, and you can't allow one loss to turn into two. And that's what's going to be different this year. If it plays out and we have a full season, that's what's going to be different. I look at the direction of college football over decades, and I think in the 60s they'd play a 10-game season, and in the 70s it became 11 games, and then I think maybe – 
15, 20 years ago, they started experimenting with the 12th game. And like sometimes I think uh, I have to go back and look at this, but I think they had some 11 game seasons, some 12 game seasons. Maybe they went back to 11 for a year or two, but the trend line was upward in terms of games played. And now you're seeing that with the playoff and those sorts of things. I think that once fans get used to 10 SEC games and you're seeing Alabama and Georgia in place of Alabama uh, and Furman or someone like that, I think that that, the TV ratings that come with it, now the the emergency break is what you said. It's going to be this teams don't like the prospect of an extra loss, but I think money is going to talk in this eventually, and I have a feeling it might not be right away. You might have contracts with other schools and things like that, but I have a feeling this 10-game season in the SEC is eventually going to be here to stay in terms of conference opponents, that is. Well, over the coaches' dead bodies because they're not up for this at all. And after they do it once, they'll they'll be even less up for it because the pounding that you're going to take if this plays out in a full SEC season is going to be enormous. And um, seven and three may be a hell of a year given what your schedule looks like. Yeah, and I think the thing is, it's going to be one of those things where probably all the power leagues have to do it. I mean, you've seen the Big 12 is already there, right? Although I guess they have a nine-game schedule because there's just 10 teams. But I guess it's like if your neighbors aren't doing it, you're not going to do it either. But I just wonder if the money won't be the thing that eventually turns this. But I do think you're right. I think you'll have a battle with the coaches because the SEC coaches are going to look at it and say, well, yeah, everybody's got a 10-game league schedule, but our 10 are going to be tougher. That's going to cost us in the playoffs. What will probably happen is you'll see an expansion of the playoffs to eight teams or 16 or something. Uh, That way, if you lose a couple games, you're not disqualified. But I just think that the revenue and the interest from the extra conference games uh, is compared to the games they would have been playing eventually is going to win out. I could be wrong about that for reasons that you pointed out, but I think this year will be very interesting just for that reason. Well, on the Vandy front, if and when the job comes open again, if if the rules of engagement are, let's say, as they are this year, 10 games all within the SEC, uh, the Vanderbilt job becomes way less attractive because the model of getting to a bowl game has suddenly disappeared. And um, I think if that model goes through, as you think it's going to, the Vandy job is a much harder job. That is a great point. Uh, The other thing, too, will be what does it do to the lower-tier bowls? Because you've got, what, 80 teams that get into bowls or something like that, and so all of a sudden now, what are you doing? Are you inviting – you know, teams that go four and eight to bowls that won three SEC games. I don't know what you do there. I don't know if those bowls just go away, but that is the other complication. Yeah, there's a bunch. There's a lot of questions out there. Well, follow the money, right? Bingo. All right, last one from Vandy Fan 96 Who does George think are Vandy's top breakout players this season for football? Well, I'm just going to give a really uh, crummy answer. And for this team to have any success at all, so much of it revolves around Ken Seals. 
you saw a year ago when they didn't have any level of consistent quarterback play that the whole thing went completely south. They had some talent on the offensive end. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Uh, between Keyshawn Vaughn and Kalijah Lipscomb and uh, Big Pinkney at tight end, it's not like they didn't have, have some weapon. The pressure, but for them to surprise us all, you know, he's going to have to be Roger Staubach. <laughs> he just is. And so I'm just going to give a one-person answer here and just say for them to have any chance at all, he's got to be really good. George, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. I'll be returning the favor on your show shortly, so tell folks about that, please. Yeah, you can hear Chris today at 220 on 560 WNSR on the AM dial, 95.9 on FM, and you can listen on our app, uh, the WNSR app. If you lose the signal, it comes in clear as a bell. Chris, I'll just say this to the listeners. Uh, this is an hour of your life you can't get back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we were good. I will have to disagree with you on that, but I guess the uh, you think so? the audience will decide, and it always does. Oh, listen, bless their hearts, and everybody stay safe and well. Thank you, George. You take care, Chris. He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Stay tuned. We may have another episode of the podcast coming next week. Uh, we will probably have maybe two episodes a week coming into football season. Then we'll, we we will be getting back into the swing of things with three, four, maybe five episodes a week. So anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. And whether it's this week or next week, we will back, be back with many more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast.